Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. Hey, everyone. Of course, you, now, now you heard the hey, everyone. That means that I'm <laughs> We know where we are. Yeah. <laughs> this is Alex, and uh, I'm hosting the show. Scott is in a hotel room. He has no uh, bandwidth today, so I've taken the reins. Uh, and as you heard there, uh, coming in from Hermosa Beach, Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. How's it going? I am indeed in Hermosa. I just got back from a nice long bike ride. I am sitting at my desk eating fresh blueberries. Did you have people cool. cutting trees at your house today? I, I, I was supposed to have people cutting trees earlier and then never showed up. So. Uh, and you I cut a didn't few get trees myself. But. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I, I actually, splitting wood is actually the thing that I enjoy the most. It's good therapy. That whole thing. It is. It's great. Yeah, I'm, I used I'm to, fighting if, Bougainvillea with those big, nasty, long thorns on it. And, uh, ooh. Must be careful. And also in from New York uh, is Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. I'm uh, back from Canada. I have to mention Canada every show because I've been hearing from a lot of Twippers, and they're they're all excited that there's a, a Canadian on board here. So, you know. Now, where were you in Canada again? I was in Edmonton, Alberta, oh, wow. as well as uh, Yellowknife, um, Northwest Territories, where I met a couple of uh, Twip listeners. Did you get a lot of good photos out there? Um, yeah, yeah. I've been doing this Canada Day project, and uh, every right. year I'm in a different part of Canada. So this year I'm wow. in Northwest Territory. So it was great. It was wonderful. That, that area is blowing up, isn't it? Um, you With mean the they're oil digging for oil and, and yeah, diamonds? They, they've got lots of uh, expendable cash at the moment, it sounds like. I think they do. i got, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's cheaper to be back in New York City than it was up in Yellowknife. It's extremely expensive there. Yeah, it's hard to get stuff out there. It is, it is. It's also hard to make fun of Canada anymore since their dollar got stronger than ours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when, we're, when, we're, when, we're out, when we're outranked by a loony. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, also in from uh, San Jose, we've got uh, Fred John, Frederick Johnson. Hello. Fred I'm, do, I'm, I'm doing nothing quite as exciting as you guys. I'm just sitting in my living room right now. I was uh, editing video like a geek sitting in, star, in uh, Starbucks a few minutes ago. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a liberating experience to sit there on a beautiful Sunday afternoon editing video of, of Photoshop product managers. It's uh, interesting. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's exciting. Product managers. Wow. Yep. Mm. <laughs> now, what, now, what did you shoot that with? I shot that with the, what's that little Canon? Uh, the HV20 or HV30? No, the EV thing. What is that? So you're the, you're the video guy. It's the little, the little Canon um, HD video camera. Well, that's the HV20. That's what is I it, have. Is it the HV20? Yeah. Is it to the tape? Does it go to tape? Yeah, it goes to DV tape. Mini, yeah. mini DV tape, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably an HV20 or HV30. Yeah, we have, we, we have lots of those. Yeah, it works surprisingly well. I'm trying to graduate on my video skills up from the, uh, from the G9. <laughs> <laughs> it's baby steps you know i'm no star wars guy like you i'm just a little lowly uh you know blogger you know it's it is truly amazing uh, we talk a lot about photography but it is truly amazing how far videos come you know it's it's gonna be uh and it's gonna it's catching up too i mean when, when we're gonna you know the uh there's a bunch of cameras coming out video cameras coming out in the spring of next year and it's gonna turn the whole uh, what we do in video completely inside out. But I think we're just going to see emerging where we have a still camera and a video camera. And for many people, that's going to be enough. Yeah. There's no reason at some point once, uh, once you're able to shoot good, high quality stills and video at the same time. Yeah. Very one. Exactly. Yep. So in the news, we've got, uh, we've got a lot of news today. Um, we, uh, uh, and we also have Dan Ablin. I'll, I, I interviewed him a little earlier. We're going to insert that into the show. Uh, in the news, we've got an Iranian image. One missile, too many. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve, what happened here? What happened? I tell you what. I mean, you know, this uh, photo manipulation has been going on long before <laughs> Photoshop, you know, as propaganda. But right. um, I think we all saw this this kind of menacing-looking image of these four missiles taking off uh, somewhere in Iran. It was a, a missile test to, to sort of assert the uh, pecs of Iran. And uh, apparently, um, one of the missiles was photoshopped in. Apparently, one of them didn't fire. And, so, so it was uh, supposed to be a big show of force, and it turned out to be a little wimpy. <laughs> and you know, the, the thing about photo 
manipulation is, though. I mean, it's a slippery slope. So yeah. if you see an image like that and, and one thing has changed, you kind of sort of have to ask, I mean, what else is real and what isn't? But, uh, well, you know, this I'm surprised, though. You know, these big uh, newspaper agencies, I'm, they really need to be a little bit better with their fact-checking. I mean, something's coming from the Ministry of Propaganda from Iran. You don't have some expert take a look at it. Well, yeah. isn't, isn't, isn't there just a lot of pressure right now because of the internet, uh, because of Speed. the need to, yeah, the need to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, as far as if you don't put it, if you wait a little bit and then don't put it out. Well, I, I could see it happening on, you know, a, a very timely thing like a blog post, but this was on the front page of the LA Times and a couple of other major newspapers. Yeah, well, yeah right. New York Times, Chicago Tribune. Uh, yeah. It was everywhere, actually. In defense of this image, though, you know, I got to say that the, the composition is so much better with that fourth missile. Added, so. <laughs> I will admit, I will admit it looks much nicer. There's, there's, there's a balance in the photo that's off with the one missile missing. You know, I, I, I do agree. They did a great job as far as composition goes. Yeah. And, and, a, and a pretty good Photoshop uh, job as well. It was pretty good. I mean, the, the, well, as soon as you look, as soon as you know yeah. where to look. I, I did a uh, I did a presentation a while back called the ethics of, of visual effects and uh, talking about how you know I mean in the visual effects world obviously we do this kind of stuff all the time and uh, we we took a big long historical look at how this kind of manipulation photo and video or film manipulation had been done over the years and I mean Steve's right it's you know it goes way way back there's you know uh, stuff with uh, you know people that fell out of favor with the communist party who were not just removed from the photos but also removed from the face of the earth about the same time so oh. <laughs> It's, yeah, just, the, the, it, it's gotten so much easier, of course, yeah. as we all know, with uh, in the the digital age. But but there have been, sadly, a lot of photojournalists that have been caught because you know it is seductive. You know, I think it was Fred who mentioned the composition with the fourth missile. <laughs> I mean, you know, photographers, you know, are perfectionists to a certain extent, and you know, if you if you have that ability to to make a change and, and especially propaganda photographers. I mean, you know, they they got to be perfectionists. I mean, they they're trying to move people forward. You know, scale people and and. Uh, and it's definitely not nearly as scary when you have a 25% failure rate on your missiles. But, but don't you feel much better that they, they felt compelled to Photoshop another missile in? I mean, to yeah. me, that sort of takes a little bit of the, the might away from uh, what it does. It show, it, it it, yeah, I think it's actually... They have three total. Well, the other thing, though, is that, is that, I, is that I, it scares me, though, because it shows us how technologically advanced Iran is. And, you know, they could be much closer to a nuke than we thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if they can Photoshop, you know, if they Photoshop, can really they must have there. nuclear capabilities. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I see this being used front page uh, this coming week by the Bush administration to talk about uh, the dangers of Iran and the fact that if they're Photoshopping, they must have, uh, you know, highly... We, we have a Photoshop gap. Yeah. And, and they if, might be if, switching to D3s as well, as far as... <laughs> what, if it's, what, if it's, what if we're blowing it way out of proportion and it's just some, some geeky horn rim designer, Iranian designer somewhere that said, you know what, I want to fix this. And they, you know, <laughs> put that in there and it somehow would slip through and now the whole yeah. world is like, Iran is trying to show force and all this. And then some 12-year-old, you know, just did it on a whim. My whole thing is, why bother <laughs> shoot the missiles off in the first place? Why not just, just you know, you could do a little 3D graphics, you know, the smoke, the smoke uh, has done has gotten much better uh i, I you know that, that would have been probably more useful so uh, anyway also in the news uh uk home secretary green lights harassment of photographers in public places so jackie smith uh, she uh, british home secretary uh, has sent a letter reported um reported on by the british journal of photographers stating that the practice of harassing photographers uh, who take pictures in public places is legitimate though there is no law against it now what's the What's the story here? It's just such a bogus statement that uh, there's no law against harassing people, so go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think um, uh, the way it was listed here, um, that it, it, the Home Secretary greenlights the harassment of photographers, I don't think that's exactly what, what was meant by this. I think what, what she has, has said was that uh, you know, under, under special circumstances, um, they will sort of question people photographing uh, in certain places uh, and leaving it to the... Um, uh, the individual officer to 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 make that decision. I mean, you know, I can understand to a certain extent. I mean, if someone looks suspicious, whether they're photographing or not, um, maybe they should be investigated. But uh, uh, again, it's uh, just another instance of uh, it being harder to be a photographer in in public places in the UK. Anyway, 
I know that almost anywhere I shoot in public, I get ready to move pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, for other reasons, though, you're you're wanted in a couple of places. Aren't you? Well, there's that. There was, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it would really explode. You know, it was one of those things. So the, uh, the, um, uh, so, but, but I, I do think that it is definitely becoming harder now. Do you think this is at all aimed at paparazzi as well, or is it really just towards um, what they consider homeland security and re- and what could possibly be re- reconnaissance or something? I think it's a bunch of people who uh, want to look like they're being more active in whatever little bit of authority they have, feeling like uh, this is one more opportunity for them to strut their stuff. Right, right. Yep. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's what most of that is, is going to be traced to. I mean, sure, there are some times where people have legitimate concerns, but I think it's mostly, you know, a board security guard who he thought he was going to get into this job for the action and, and obviously doesn't tend to get a lot of that. So any opportunity to go harass a photographer looks exciting. Yeah. Hey, did you see this? Uh, did you see this Adorama team teams up with uh, Joe McNally to preserve uh, unique, enormous photos? There's some big pictures. So it is a Polaroid camera, 40 inches by 80 inches. So nearly four feet by, uh, by I guess, over six feet um, in size. Uh, so the, the size is one, uh, it's, it's nearly the size of a, of a car garage. <laughs> camera is crazy. Get this data, get this data. Okay, and we'll, we'll put this in the show notes, of course. So if you're listening and you're wondering, where is this? Uh, it's, it's on Joe McNally's site. We'll put it in the show notes. At F45, you have about an inch, about one inch depth of field. Better get your focus right. Yeah, exactly. And you can't focus the lens. You have to focus your subject by moving them back and forth in tiny increments. <laughs> Wag the dog. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shutter. You have to work, work camera obscura uh, uh, at the moment of exposure. Um, the, uh, but the, the images are unbelievable. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that the images that are all on here uh, are the are the images shot with it, and and they are um, you know anything that big, you know, and Polaroid by itself is always uh, fairly uh, grainless or or very low, you know, it's very smooth, a very yeah, smooth it's a big, image. It's a big negative, even on you know the little because the negative is the size of the print. So yeah, yeah. so I haven't seen the article yet, Alex. Are they doing a doing an, an art show exhibition or what's the what's yeah, the there's, there's going to be an art show exhibition, but it, it, this is stuff that had been shot a while ago. Yeah, I think mean, um, that, uh, that uh, Joe had this uh, exhibition in, in several places. It traveled for a while, um, right. and it's just these prints are so huge, and I guess it's just very difficult and costly to store it. And I guess Adorama has uh, teamed up with them to to help him uh, preserve these. these these images that camera i think there were three of them made i believe there's there's one of them in san francisco a photographer who bought one who and i'll have to dig it up but i think he's photographing other photographers with it i'm huh. um, doing a project but it's uh yeah it's 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 not a it's, g9 <laughs> <laughs> also big in the news this is big in the news uh twit blog makes uh technorati 10,000 wow so wow. out of the out of the 112 million blogs being tracked, uh, we have made it to a very uh, top, I guess, point one percentile. So we're very excited about so that. The, the big the big thing there is 112 million, million blogs. blogs. <laughs> That's oh a lot my of god! That's a lot. Well, of you know, it's, it's interesting because I I went there to just poke around. I'd never really looked around over there, and I'm you know one uh, one of my main blogs is actually not even being tracked there. So. That just tells you how many blogs there really are out there. Probably is just uh, a scratch yeah. in the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Now the also in the news uh, rumors uh, that the Nikon Coolpix P six thousand is on the way. It looks like a possibly another early ad leak. Ad leak. Um, this is uh, we'll put this in the show notes. Um, ISO sixty four hundred. Have you guys heard anything? I mean, I'm I'm kind of excited. That's like a G nine competitor. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It looks it looks like a G9 with like a little humpback on it. Yeah, yeah. it's it looks pretty impressive is what it looks like. 13.4 megapixels according to this leak. Uh possible GPS capabilities. Wow. Uh you know, lens from ED glass. Um it is uh it's pretty it, it you know, ISO of 6400. So it looks like I mean Nikon is just they are swinging with all, you know. It looks like you can plug it into a LAN. Is that what I'm seeing there? That's what, that's what it says. But, we, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. It's all in Japanese. So, so the, uh, someone's kind of, they're trying to figure out exactly what it means. It does look like it's going to be shooting raw. Uh, and so, um, anyway, it's, it does look like a G9 competitor. 
and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that goes forward. But it, it, it's pretty uh, um, pretty exciting. Um, in the uh, in the Drobo news, because we have to have Drobo news occasionally. Um, uh, Firewire Dual Eight Hundred ports. Big thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah. Old models, are, by the way, if you, if you don't mind the speed, old models are being blown out at three forty nine. Um, so uh, the, 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 just the boxes, uh, and that's a big that's a big savings. Mm-hmm. So um, or buy mine, buy mine for two forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you want that speed, you know, for me, the way I use it, it's not that big of a deal. You, you have just to, have it sort of as a backup strategy, yeah, right? Yeah, just a backup. I'm just throwing stuff on it. it, it it's for grabbing reference stuff. I don't need it to be very fast, but I could definitely, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm glad that the new ones that I eventually will get will be 800. So it's, um, it's definitely going to make a big difference for people doing production and need to... Uh, move forward um also in the news uh canon is to is planning to build a 162 million dollar camera facility in nagasaki i hear they're going to make the new uh nikon cool Pix p6000 that we were just talking about <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's evil <laughs> i apologize so it's uh, the new, ca- new the new factory uh, have a production capacity of four million digital cameras. Uh, Canon will uh, begin construction of the plant in January two thousand nine and hope to have it on operation by December two thousand nine. And uh, yeah, hopefully it will be uh, able to um, build some uh, more sensitive chips. That's all I have. To it's, say. it's interesting if you look at the the news release. I, I looked at that real quick, and the thing that jumped out at me, I completely sort of unrelated to the building of the factory, is. Uh, it says Canon holds the biggest share in the global digital market at 20%, followed by competitors Sony, Samsung, and Olympus. Uh, obviously, there's there's a, a big name missing from that list. And I have to wonder, is that really the case? I mean, is Nikon really like number five? Well, I think it could be because you're looking at – I think it depends on where you have the uh, camera penetration. I think when, we, when we're talking about SLRs, I think it, a lot of us think of yeah, it yeah, like sure. Nikon and Canon. But when you look at a lot of these little cameras, these little handheld cameras, I think that uh, some of these consumer cameras, uh, I think that – I totally believe that it could be Sony and Olympus and, yeah. and, uh, and Samsung. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, how that compares to a poll we did a while back where clearly it was Canon and Nikon for, for, for our audience as well. But Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I, yeah. And I think that people who get serious, I think that they, they tend to fall into those areas. But there's a lot of people using – I mean, there's a lot of great Olympus cameras and a lot of great uh, other cameras that are in those fields. So, um, but, uh, but I think that um, – yeah, when you think of only SLRs, you think of Canon and Nikon. Yeah, and it depends uh, on who's doing the survey too. So, and and the message call, that you're trying to get across. So, you got to beware, <laughs> beware, beware of statistics. Always, you know, especially, it's always going to be Canon at least for you the know. foreseeable future for point and shoots, you right. know, and for SLRs, you know. But if you slice it that way, you're going to, of course, Nikon's going to be knocked out of the mix because you don't right. immediately think Nikon when you think point and shoot. Right? Yeah, you know, I hear that seventy-one point three percent of all statistics are made up. <laughs> and the rest of that you can factor away as well right? <laughs> Kodak unveils a 50 get that 50 megapixel CCD oh, oh man I want one yeah, I want one I want a video camera that does that that, oh, that, would, that would really make me happy 50 megapixels holy cow a CCD a 50 megapixel CCD uh, interestingly enough that it's not CMOS um, it is CCD uh, it is um, they, they set up an, in an aerial photo of a field one uh, and a half miles across, you could detect an object about the size of a small notebook computer. So you wonder if this, if they didn't really just unveil it. They, this has probably been in a defense satellite for the last 10 years. <laughs> and, they're, and now that they've gotten it all figured out, uh, paid for by the defense department, I think that they're just giving it to us. So now we just need uh, memory cards to keep up with the write speed for those <laughs> giant files. <laughs> it's like w- one shot every 30 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll need a little raid. You know, a little raid in there. A little, little Drobo hanging off your belt, you know? Yeah. yeah well, you get, what you do is, the key is, if you take, if you take like uh, about four of those four, uh, like super fast, uh, four um, gigabit or gigabyte uh, cards, and you stick them into one, and then you raid zero them, you know, you get you get a lot of read write speed out of them. This one's pretty slow, though. I, I think that uh, you only get like a couple frames a second you can shoot with this thing. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah but, no, I yeah, I, I suppose when you're using a camera with this resolution, I mean, you don't necessarily need. I mean, it'd be nice to have, but I think I think this new Hasselblad camera that they've announced that will incorporate this chip, um, it's going to be like forty grand. So you know that'll sort of price out a lot of us on the show <laughs> from buying one, perhaps. But I mean, uh, is that is that mostly fashion photographers that? that tend to use this sort of uh, camera these days? I, I would suspect that uh, anyone that's going to invest $40,000 as a professional photographer has to know that they're going to make back that money within, you know, two years. Otherwise, because as you know, I mean, you know, as, as time goes by, the value just completely sure. deflates. Yeah. Uh, and then there are the rich people that uh, can afford to have one. But, you know, I'm doing this project. I would love to, to have a high resolution because with this one project, I wanted to make giant prints. And, you know, you can do a great job with smaller files, but certainly like a 50 megapixel file, holy cow, that would be great. Well, and I think that also there's a, uh, you, a lot of us always think about buying these things, but you can also rent them. You know, in, in in a lot of the larger cities, and and I'm I know there's a project that I'm thinking about that that I, I'd really like to uh, use the 50 megapixel uh, medium format camera, but I you know and I don't need it for I need it once, you know, exactly. for a week to shoot, yeah. and so I'm, you know paying a thousand dollars to rent it for a week or, or two thousand dollars to rent it for a week might make sense, Absolutely. you know, for for a given project, and I think that that's with professional equipment in general. People we've talked about renting lenses before, but people should really think about the idea that they can uh, rent a lot of professional gear uh, as they need it unless they're using it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, of course, you know, we would like to own the thing. I mean, when you have the equipment uh, at your, you know, you can play with it, you can learn it. When you, right. when you get a job as a professional and then you go rent the gear, um, there's always a little bit of a chance there because you don't, you know, if, even if you know the equipment, you don't know the particular camera, although usually the rental places are good about, you know, giving you good stuff. <laughs> All I can say is my, my only thing about renting electronics is restore to factory settings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you get a rental camera, you just figure out there's, there's a button somewhere in there that will restore it to its factory sense, uh, settings, and then you just do that, and then you'll, many things will go away. You know, and then, you know it's, it's the problem we always end up with is some camera has been set. You know, somebody was doing something funky with it. And, you exactly. Know. You know, guys, we were, we were talking about in, an, in a previous show uh, sort of the, the petering out of the megapixel war versus camera sensitivity. I mean, do you think, you think this 50 megapixel camera is, you know, do we need 50 megapixels? I mean, maybe for the edge cases, but for the masses, do people really want to keep cranking up to larger file sizes? I don't think they need to. You know, I think that I think twelve megapixels, in my opinion. Uh, you know, of course, we're going to play this in ten years if we do if we do twit for ten years. And here'll be this famous quote, and you guys will make fun of me. I'll go. Alex goes. I don't see why anyone would need more than twelve megapixels. I mean, twelve megapixels should be enough for anyone. Six hundred and forty k is fine for everybody. Exactly. What would anyone need with more than hundred and twenty-two right. megabytes on their hard drive? Come on now. No, that's I think, I think there, there are reasons to have that. I mean, a part of it is it goes back to what your display device is. So, you know, as displays get bigger and, you know, you've got a 60 or 72 inch television that actually has greater than HD resolution. You know, once that starts showing up again, then you're going to want to make sure that you can display images on there. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like there's there's always going to be a sweet spot relative to how you're going to be viewing it. Well, and I think so. there's also an opportunity for uh, for you to have a, a shoot something and have the, the raw data might be that much bigger, but then have it uh, subsample down into yep. something that, that you're going to use, and that's going to remove a lot of grain. It's going to. I know we we uh, have we shot last week for two days with a with a red video, you know, a red camera uh, shooting video uh, for a um, for a, um, a project we're working on, and. You know, it shoots 4K. We don't need 4K wide. We need, <laughs> we're actually delivering much smaller than that. So we subsample that down to 1920 by 1080, and that's uh, actually a great resolution. It looks gorgeous at that size. At full size, it looks a little soft. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's not, exactly what, you know, not exactly what I want. Um, and so I think that that ability to oversample and then bring it back down, uh, I think, uh, reproduces, sometimes reproduces reality more, more effectively. Uh, you know, I mean, as, as much as we rail on the, the megapixel myth and how, you know, it, that really shouldn't be what people are looking at it's not so much that more resolution isn't important it's that you've got to have a balanced system you've got to have something that balances you know it's like you can get a car with 
a huge, huge engine dropped into it. But, you know, if it's got zero handling capabilities, it's not yeah. going to be a useful vehicle, really. And it's the same thing for these imaging sensors. They've, you know, megapixels is good, but as long as you also have a good balance with dynamic range and low noise and all of those things together. That's yeah. a, a good analogy. And the other, the other thing that, you know, just to bring to light again is, you know, there are still serious photographers shooting with, toy cameras and disposable cameras and you know in the end the image is 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 the content and the atmosphere that is being communicated so sometimes you know too much resolution um you know is not always a, such a good thing depending on you know the artistic uh, uh intents of, of the yeah. photographer and the yeah. skill of the photographer. And, yeah, we get caught up in on the gadgets and the technology and sensors and all this stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's about light and composition, exposure. And if you can, if you can get a really good image from a from a Holga or a pinhole camera, you know, you don't really need all this crazy stuff to you know make good yeah. art. Well, I was yeah. talking. I, I was talking to someone who was looking at buying cameras and everything else, and they were asking me about you know what should I what, what should I look at, and I and I said you know make sure that you got a lot of good lights. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know it's, it's like the camera. You know, this was a video camera discussion, but it applies to to, to um, still photography as well. Is the lighting and that and that setup and the framing is so much more important. I mean, you, anybody can shoot something. What a professional camera does is, uh, in my opinion, is allows you to adjust to. Uh, um, uh, situations more effectively, um, and being able to be, it's much more flexible on the fly, um, than a lot of these other cameras. And of course you have better glass and everything, but the, uh, but a lot of that, that captured image, uh, does as, as, as Fred was saying, uh, really, uh, the lighting and the setup is, is, uh, I think sometimes far more than 50%. Yep. So also, in, we got a Flickr challenge uh, coming up here, uh, fireworks. Uh, we are in the second week, so make sure to check that out. Over 5,600 members uh, in the Flickr challenge. Uh, make sure to come up there and check it out. We've also got 2,700 members in the critique forum. And uh, so a lot of people trading some ideas. We had a, a poll uh, that we're, we just finished up. And uh, this is, uh, uh, it's how do you like to go shooting in the field? Um, we had uh, 1,444 Votes, 73% said by myself, 21% said with one other photographer, uh, 5% with a small group, and uh, 0.3% with a large group of photographers. I, that, that seemed to be uh, normal, normal to me. Mm. I mean, the, the best way to do it, really, I mean, I, I always tell students or whatever, you know, I mean, you've got to be sort of the lone wolf out there because yeah. you need to be concentrating and you really need to be on your own to be able to get into that zone of concentration where you're going to start to make the kind of images that you want to make. And if you're distracted with a spouse or a friend, I mean, it's, it could be not as much fun, of course, but ultimately, um, chances are, I'd say that your, your, your work will be much better if you do it by yourself. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, you know, and from my own experiences, shooting people and models and things like that, you know, uh, lately I've been bringing friends along just to sort of, you know, exchange ideas about posing and lighting and all that stuff. And I find that it's really hard to, you know, not so much find the right shot, but connect with the subject, you know, when it's another person, when the subject's, at at the subject's attention is divided amongst multiple people, they don't know, you know, who to look at, who to talk to, who's directing directing them. So, yeah, I agree with Steve. It's, you know, it's a, it's a singular sort of uh, event when you want to just sort of zone in and make contact with one person. I think a lot of times for me, the way I shoot is I tend to like to become invisible. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, I be, you know, the idea is to get myself out of the, forget about myself while I'm taking the photos of whatever I'm taking photos of um, and just get into that scene. And, and I find that, that that to be very hard with uh, when I'm chatting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a new poll for everybody. Uh, how do you, uh, what, what camera shooting mode do you prefer? Uh, automatic mode, aperture priority, shutter priority, program mode, or a fully manual? So uh, go up to twipphoto.com and uh, let us know, and we'll, we'll chat about this next week. And, uh, so is an automatic mode, like, what is that exactly? I know, I know you wouldn't. <laughs> That's a pro for you right there. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How does that work? Well, I know so, P is for What is this A you speak? <laughs> <laughs> I know P is for professional, but I don't know anything about <laughs> <laughs> No, the automatic, you know, it just, 
it is a lot of times you can you can uh, you know I've heard that 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 it'll set all the settings for you uh, with some talk. kind of software. I know it's crazy talking. Don't, now we, don't we, buy we, us we, our poll. Now we shouldn't talk about this until the poll comes. <laughs> We've, We've thrown the whole poll. We've thrown the whole poll, and now it's going to be everyone's going to be like, no, automatically it'll be zero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're not. We're not. A, we're, this is obviously not a very scientific poll since we've jammed the whole thing there. So, um, so anyway, uh, also coming up right now. Uh, now this is going to be. This is a new experiment for us. Uh, getting some of our guests together, well, and all of us together, uh, you know, doesn't happen always at the same time. And so, uh, a little earlier today, actually, I rec- I, uh, I actually interviewed Dan Ablin, who's both a three D artist and a photographer, and uh, and so we we're going to insert that right uh, right here. So I'm here with uh, Dan Ablin. In, in, Dan, you are in Chicago? That is correct, yeah. And uh, now most people, uh, you, you, you've started 3D, 3D Garage, uh, and uh, most people uh, know you from your 3D background. You've, you've, right. You used uh, Lightwave for a long time, is that right? I still do, yeah. You still yeah, do? A lot of, you still do. Still do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but you also use Moto. Absolutely, yeah. And you build a lot of training, do a lot of production in both, right? Correct. Yeah. So you really, you know, you've been known for a long time uh, for doing 3D, but uh, on top of that, it, it turns out that you've done a lot of photography for quite some time. Yeah, that, that's what I originally wanted to do. That's what I started out as. I see. Um, and it's never really gone away. It's just always been in the background, you know. And that's right. what we had talked about was reference photography for right. 3D. Right, 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 and which is so important. You know, it's it's one of those things that uh, a lot of three D artists don't do enough of, and uh, and taking photos. Uh, one of the the big things when you go back and forth between three D is you, to make something look really real. Uh, most of the time, what you're doing is you, you need to you have an object that you're trying to match a house or or a salt shaker or a table or whatever it is. And a lot of people will just try to build it out of the top of their head rather than taking a lot of phot- photography and just simply just trying to match what you see. Right. And, you, you know, you think you know it. I remember in some of the earlier training stuff I would do in the mid-90s, it was you think you know it as much as you, you know, I know exactly what it looks like. And then when you actually see the photo, oh, there's a little, just a little curve or a little bevel or just something right. that you weren't aware of. Yeah, makes all the difference. Well, and, and the thing is, is that it's, it, it becomes actually much easier to be a good 3D artist when you, when you use reference photography because you're, what you're able to do is, is uh, just you, all I would do is render my object next to the, in the same camera angle, same rough lighting uh, next to the object that I'm trying to match. And then I would just write a list of what's different between that object and my object. Yeah, and it's not also just the modeling. It is, it's the lighting as well. You exactly. copy that lighting. Yeah. You copy the and lighting, used- the texturing, everything. I used to think it was cheating, <laughs> you know, and I didn't tell anybody. I'm like, oh, you know, that's kind of bad. You should be doing it all from. And then I realized over the years, as you, you know, time is money that, hey, you know what? It's the final image that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that that's the thing that's really important. And the uh, uh, with um, most of the time when I'm talking to uh, 3D artists, uh, one of the first things I'll ask, and it's kind of my gentle way of telling people that they're their model is pretty far off the, 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 uh, the mark is where's your reference photography? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, have, have you been looking at something, uh, when you built this? Because it doesn't, there's something, and sometimes they're close, but it doesn't look quite right. And, uh, and that just comes from that idea of, and this gets into the whole drawing from the right, right side of your brain almost where you, you know, you have your left, your left side just knows, Oh, I know what a face looks like, but the right side, you know, if you're just observing it, it, it becomes a, a very binary process. Um, yeah. And that's exactly it. It just has to look right. On it, you know, and, and that was on that motocast with Brad last week uh, for Luxology. It doesn't matter how much math is in there and how exact you think it is. Right. If it doesn't look right, it's just, you know, exactly. it's no good. <laughs> exactly. Now, now, beyond that, though, reference photography is one thing that, that I've shared your passion for uh, and, and done a lot of myself. But how do you see photography, uh, your background in photography, uh, how do you see it affect your 3D work? You know, what's interesting is that I got into 3D because of photography and video. Um, you know, my, I started out in photojournalism, moved over right. to broadcast and minored in photo. My first job was as a videographer for a CBS affiliate. Um, and we could never, I always wanted to get those big jibs and the rigs and the whole thing to do these cool sweeping shots and steady cams and obviously right. corporate video and small TV uh, 
they're not going to do that. Right. And then once I started getting the 3D, I realized I could put the camera anywhere I wanted and really get <laughs> types of shots. And that is true. That is the h- number one reason I got in the 3D. And there the heroin sunk into the veins. <laughs> and, the, and I just loved it, too. I mean, it was fun just creating things. But yeah. um, so it's I've never had trouble at all with with the camera setup or doing anything like that. And um, it's still to this day, you know, it's it it goes hand in hand. You know what you see in the real world and how you shoot things and line things up when you're building in 3D. You can use those same angles, uh, that same perspective. It's one of the things I tell a lot of photographers who think, well, you know, I'm thinking about 3D, but I don't I don't know if I'd be very good at it. I'm just like, you know, you're just teaching your fingers how to do a couple of new things. The eye is the thing that is the most important. So the, I'll talk to photographers and, and they'll say, well, I'm getting into, uh, I'm getting into, I, I'd like to get into 3D, but I just don't know if I'd know how to do it. And my big thing is, is that it's not, it's just a, learning a couple of new tricks. It, yeah. Really, it's all about your eye. Yeah, and, and it's just buttons. It's just software. And, you know, and I've had this discussion with, I remember my family in the very beginning when I started writing books and, and teaching, well, aren't you giving away your secrets? Right. No, it's just buttons. I've seen demo reels come to the studio with my own tutorials on them. Right. <laughs> and, and they look, look nothing like the stuff I created. Some are better, right. some are a lot worse. And, right. And I've taught some photography lately. We've been doing some workshops. And, um, What I like to tell people is, you know, take a small memory card, shut off your LCD, and shoot 36 pictures, just the way we used to in the film days. And you know you have to learn to get that shot. Get your eye out of the LCD and look through the lens and learn to get your shot. Right. Right. And it would be the same in 3D. You know, just don't worry so much about the technical and... Right now, how do you see the your photography when you what what is the same and what is different when you're really dealing with uh, 3D? That is there any? I mean, it's, it's a lot of it's similar, but what really translates and what do you have to kind of step out of when you're doing the 3D work? Um, I think with the 3D, I've got a little bit more going on um, that I'm concentrating on, where it's you know the camera and the objects and you know worrying about resolution and. You know, shading and anti-aliasing and all of that. And, and one of the things that's good, I think, from both, one of the things that Lightwave was known for and what Moto is uh, known for as well, and the same developers, uh, is that, uh, is that they, they really have taken a lot of the, the, the uh, rules from photography and applied it to the 3D camera. Is that right? Yeah, they have. And uh, I know in both, both softwares and in more recent versions, they've really started to incorporate um, a lot of those camera settings. And I think, uh, I think version 9 of Lightwave came out with um, a number of presets that you can match Canon lenses and Nikon lenses. Um, and the newer 301 of Moto, they've also done film presets and, and also have gone beyond that with more high-definition stuff as well. So you can just instantly match uh, background footage or reference photography. Which is really, really important. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the vexing things. I think a lot of times we'll get some video plates that we have to, or, mm-hmm. or, or still plates that I have to you know, match up and, and, and work with. And it becomes, uh, it becomes difficult to, um, uh, to get that all working without those settings being correct. It's not just field of view. It's not just the size right. of the imager. There's a lot of things going on there, and you have to kind of figure that out. Now, what do you take when you're not doing 3D work? What kind of pictures do you like to take? Um, you know, I, I don't do weddings, and that's actually kind of one of the reasons I never went into photography professionally, because I kind of knew you'd have to do that. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't want that responsibility. Right. Um, it is nervous. It's nerve wracking, isn't it? It I'm is. I, 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 I didn't take photos at, at weddings. I DJed weddings. I DJed about 300 uh-huh. weddings. And, uh, and, and before every wedding, you know, it's, it's someone's big day and I'd be, I'd be like wanting to throw up and, uh, thinking to myself, why do I do this? This is crazy. I'm never going to do this again. And then, and then I do it later that afternoon at another wedding. You know, it was, it was that kind of thing. And it it, it is very nerve wracking to kind of get into that, into that zone. Well, my wife and I have been married 11 years and I still hear to this day how the photographer did not get a shot of the whole room. <laughs> so uh, that was the one, know. the one advantage that I had, uh, when I did, uh, when I, because I, you know, have friends who are photographers and everything else. I had a good friend from, uh, uh, from Denver, uh, Greg Herring, and he is just, he's a fantastic, he's from Boulder actually. And he is a fantastic photojournalistic, uh, wedding photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, just be- unbelievable eye and uh and so i had greg um uh i had greg you know shoot my wedding and he did the i I asked him to do the one thing that i knew that no other wedding photographer would do and and now i'm going to tell everyone this and all the wedding photographers are going to 
send me hate mail. <laughs> I said, I said, he's, I said, what kind of camera do you have? And he's like, oh, I'm shooting with a D 200. And I said, okay, so what I want you to do is I just, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of memory cards and I just want you to shoot everything. And then I just want you to give me the memory cards back. <laughs> you know, you don't need to print anything. You don't need to do anything. I just want the memory cards. I'm not a, I'm not a, I need physical anything. You know, I'll, we'll print those later. I'll figure it all out. And, and it, even for him, even though I was a friend of his, he had to think about that. It was like, it was way outside his board. Yeah, they're not used to that. You know, and I, I don't think he ever did it before. I don't, he probably hasn't done it again. I mean, cause you know, the money that wedding photographers make is based on the prints and you know, That's so on and so forth. So giving me the photographers. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and of course the photography t- turned out, uh, amazing. So it was, it was great. So, well, we live parallel lives because I did something very similar when we, this was 97. So we're still in the whole video toaster era mm-hmm. when we got married and the photography studio we were using also did the video. Right. And we went in there and the guy's trying to show me this big automated system and we can do this and the effects. And I go in the back and he's guys running the stuff all on a toaster. Right. <laughs> right. And he looks at me. And he turns around, he keeps working, he turns around, he looks at me again, and he reaches over and goes through some stacks of some magazines, pulls it out, and at the time I was doing a column for Video Toaster User, and right. I, was doc- <laughs> I was Dr. Toaster, right. I didn't come up with that name, and uh, he realized, you know, okay, I don't need to tell you how the toaster works, but I actually had them hire a beta shooter, because I wanted it on beta, right. I didn't want a SVHS, and You're I said, don't- big guns. I said, don't edit it. I said, give me the tapes. Yep. And I still have, to this day, I have all the raw beta footage from the wedding. So that's very funny. And they were like, are you sure? I'm like, yep, we, got, we had a small Avid at the time. An right. MCX Express. Oh, my gosh. We invested a lot in that. And they said, yeah, we're not going to make that anymore. Now, when, but, you, when you shoot, do you find that because you do a lot of 3D, when you're, um, uh, because you do a lot of Photoshop, do you find that, the, does that affect how you, uh, how you shoot or what you plan to do with the photos? No, which which uh, I'm happy about. Right. Um, you know, um, Scott Kelby did an article not too long ago too about getting it right in the camera, and um, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent. You know, oh, it's got to be this perfect image. You know, I like that. I think the whole process now of digital photography and Photoshop and Lightroom, uh, or even Aperture as well. It's I think it's all a great thing. It's all a great marriage. Um, you know, so I'm not of the camp of fix it and post or 100% in the camera. But I do want to get that shot perfect as much as possible uh, yeah. and really just worry about sharpening and color and tone right. afterwards because it's so much more fun. Yeah, no, I, that I find that I, I more and more as I move forward, I, I really am trying to do exactly the same thing where, I, where I, 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 want it, I want that photo. I try to get the exposure just right and everything else because there's nothing better than opening up a whole bunch of photos where they're all done. I mean, almost all the photos that are up on... Uh, on my website of my, of my son are almost all straight out of the camera. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't do any work on them at all. And to me, that's, you know, that, uh, now I have to admit, we were talking about not just shooting through the camera. I, I do look at that, you know, I look at my LCD and make adjustments at every, at every little, uh, every photo, (laughs) but that's, well, actually mostly when I just get started just to get my lighting, you know, to, to make sure that I'm getting the right exposure. Oh, I do too. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I I don't, I have to admit, I, I do when I see people like, taking like looking at the lcd every single photo every single shot yeah that's a distraction you know well you know i I, i've taken a lot of workshops lately and i and you might have followed that thread i started on pixel core right um because the last two years i've just i just really been throwing myself uh 100 into this and all the l lenses now all canon l lenses uh upgraded my now is it hurting is is the d is the whole d700 d3 thing hurting you with all no, those Canon lenses? I've got to tell you, you know, uh, it's, it looks pretty... The one thing I miss to my 1D, I have a Mark III right. um, from the 5D is the full frame. Right. And I don't care what they say. There's still a little something extra in that image, and I, I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and that's what's attractive at that at the, the D700. But the problem is I've got all these real... I mean, I've got an 85 1.2. Yep. Uh, yep. I've got a 300 F4. I mean, I've got some really nice lenses. And but it'd be hard to yeah. Now, I don't now think are I you are you using those. your photography and your in your uh, are you shooting business photography or is this still something that is just applying to your three D or or something that you're expressing yourself with? Um, it's not so much three D as much anymore. I did this shoot last year for Digital Domain, shooting the U boat as reference for them. Right. Uh, at uh, Benjamin Button moving. Right. Uh, I did some corporate recently as well, doing some headshots. I shot a home for for a realtor uh, who's a friend of ours. Um, 
and mostly it's just yeah a creative outlet but right. um well and, lately and when you're shooting reference photos what are you what are you looking for because this is a different kind of photography than we've talked about mm-hmm. on Twip at all. Uh, yeah. what, what, is, uh, what are you thinking about when you're shooting those reference photo- uh, photos? I think about how I'm modeling. Uh, so let, let's we'll take this U-boat, for example. This is the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, and I got to go in after hours. And this, this is, you know, a real U-boat from World War II. And so what I did is I went and shot, okay, here's the establishing shot all the way around the whole model. Right. Um, different angles, straight on angles, um, but then... A lot of it is up close, you know, rivets, plates, right. um, different, you know, the way the welding is on certain seams, the way door hinges fasten, um, the way the, the gun is up on top, and um, just every little detail where connections are and where seams are. Well, and I think in a lot of ways, you have to be a 3D person to shoot reference photography for a 3D artist because. I know that um, I've had friends, you know, while I'm traveling or whatever, I uh, will have friends call me and say, I had one that I was, I was in Brazil, I was in Rio, and he said, I need a picture of Christ the Redeemer. And so, you know, I got a helicopter and we flew around it. And then I went up there and shot a bunch more photos. And, but it is this thing that you have to, uh, uh, you have to know what you're looking for when you're taking the photos. You have to know where those things are. What, what am I going to need when I'm gra- grabbing those? And I, and I think to this day when I'm out shooting, I still see that. I still catch that. My wife was uh, looking at some photos one time. We, went, we, we took a trip up to the northern part of um, Wisconsin, went fishing, and got some of the fish up on the boat. And I'm just zooming in. And I'm getting the side. People are like, what the hell are you doing? And they're like, oh, he's taking textures. You know? I'm like, well, it's a fish texture. Look at that. That could be used for something. I know. I know. And, and I, I have a bad habit. I, I, I can't walk down the street without seeing something that I'm either going to shoot for, for that I'm going to use as a texture or I'm going to use as a uh, reference photo. You know, like, yeah. oh, I just I need to grab onto that and hang onto that because that's a really, you know, or that house has a certain character to it that I'm going to want to figure out why I like it later. You know, there's something about it that I like. And I'm going to put it into something, but I don't know what, but I'm going to take a picture of it right now. And, and I do it constantly. And that's yeah. the advantage of digital, which I just love. Yeah, you know, you're just blowing off huge amounts of, and that's what I did. You know, that I, it started with me doing reference photography for, uh, for Star Wars Episode One, uh, was that you know we I went to um, Pima Air Museum. Uh, I don't know if you've been there or not, but it's uh, is that the one by San Mateo? No, this one is down uh, Davis Moth in the Air, Air Force Base. This is down in uh, okay, Tucson. No, it's the graveyard, the the boneyard. Oh, I'd love to go there. Yeah, so next to it is all these airplanes, and so you know I was working on these pod racers and um, and the queen ship. I was doing texturing for the queen ship, and so I so I went down to take pictures of all this silver and and uh, and and all these rivets and all these pieces and everything else. And before I knew it, I was uh, before I knew uh, what you know what was happening. I uh, you know I turned it into a product. You know, so I, I was taking all those things and then I turned into aircraft parts. Is just all out of Pima Air Museum, but but the. Um, uh, but the thing is, is that it started off, uh, and, and it was just days of shooting. Uh, you know, it, it started off as something I went down for an afternoon, and then next thing I knew, I spent three days shooting reference photography. Uh, and it was just, but it's fascinating. The more you, the more you take it, and I think there is something as well when I'm working on something that um, the act of the act of doing it, the act of looking at it and deciding, I'm going to take a picture of this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and I, I, a lot of times I tell people this, like when they're doing 3D work, is go out and take a lot of photos of the kind of things that you're going to do because there's something about, I look at this, I'm going to frame it, I'm trying to capture a certain essence of a doorknob or a, or a building or a door or a, or a table or whatever. And when you pull the trigger, it's when you actively do that, it's different than just looking at it. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's also to, you're thinking ahead if you're going to use it as a reference or as an image map. Right. Um, we were doing, in one of my classes, we were, we were modeling a, a small car. And trying to get that glass right on the headlamps is really difficult. Right. And this, this guy was having all this trouble. I said, come on, come, come here. And I went out, just a little point and shoot. Went out to a car yep. in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. We, shot the head, we shot the headlamp, took it to Photoshop, mapped it out. Well, and, and, stuck it on there. And we're well, done. And we, we did a we did a we did a, a commercial for Nickelodeon, and uh, uh, the we needed these big speakers that were floating on this island. That these kids were dancing on, and and um, and the speakers. We we went to the the local DJ store and just we said, "Wow, my boss is thinking about getting some speakers. I was wondering if I could take a couple photos." You know, and, and he's like, "Yeah, sure." And shot a whole bunch of them, just mapped them onto a, some fairly uh, simple geometry, and uh, they look fine. You know, yeah. so it's a so it's a lot of that stuff. Anyway, but. Uh, now, where can people find at more of what you do? Um, well, the business uh, where all the 3D work is is agadigital.com. Okay. But uh, all the photography and everything is on danablin.com. Great. It's A-B-L-A-N. 
And we will uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me on. So there you go. That was Dan Ablin, and uh, you can uh, check that out. Uh, we have uh, uh, links to all of his websites uh, in the show notes. And uh, hopefully uh, you enjoy it. Let us know uh, what, you th- what you thought of that interview. Um, all, now, uh, coming up, we have uh, Audible, the Audible Pick of the Week. Now, normally we have Aaron uh, does our Audible Picks of the Week for this show, and Aaron's not here. Uh, we, uh, we'd love to see Aaron, but he's, uh, he's not here. So we're going to share I, our I Audible Pick. One. You got one? Yeah, I actually I have a I have a confession to make. Oh, Ron, oh, has, <laughs> tell me about your mother. So I know we've been sort of talking up Audible books for a while now in the show, and I had actually never really sat down and listened to a full novel start to finish as an Audible book. Okay, oh. and what, what did you listen to? <laughs> so I finally. You listened to Harry Potter all the way through, didn't you? No, no. So I finally, I finally. Oh, part of the problem, I mean, I, and I think. A lot of our listeners could probably relate to this. Is that you know it's 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 a chunk of time and it's a little bit daunting to think. Well, when am I going to find? Uh, you know, if you've never done this before, when am I going to find time to you know listen to an entire book on this sort of thing? And you know, right now I'm not commuting, so I don't have huge chunks, and and I got to listen to my podcast too. But you know, I finally found myself uh, having made it through a lot of the podcasts. So I sat down, uh, decided it was really high time to find something fun to listen to. And it turns out that Audible is now starting this new uh, initiative, I guess, where they're going back and, and, and recording sort of old uh, favorite science fiction books, you know, the classic kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed one by one of my favorite of the sort of uh, authors that came up in, I guess, probably mid-70s, Roger Zelazny. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed a book of his called This Immortal. And, and it was really good. It, it, for those of you that don't know Zelazny's work, he's, he, it's science fiction, but it's almost with the, the weight of mythology on it. I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. mythological references, but just the general feel to it, everything as well, is you just feel like there are big forces at work, and, uh, and I, it's just it's great, great writing. I mean, if you're, a fa- if you're a fan of somebody like a more contemporary author like Neil Gaiman, for instance, you mm-hmm. should really check out Zelazny, because I think, uh, you know, that's, uh, Gaiman kind of came up out of that school, and, and uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of influence in there. And, and what's the name of the book again? It's called This Immortal. Now is this a is this a dramatic reading or is it just a yeah. straight reading? Uh, it's it's a just a straight reading. There's there's not a whole, you know it's just a, a single person doing you know mm-hmm. minor voice variations, but uh, you know no extra, no no sound effects or anything like that. And but very well done. And you know it, it's interesting because never having gone through a novel like this in audible format. There's and I'm very familiar with this book. I've read it several times. You know in, in normal book form. Mm-hmm. You know there, there's clearly times where you're like, oh, I wouldn't have emphasized that word. But right. overall, it's a very good reading. You know, it's and, uh, and and gets the story across really really well. So I can definitely recommend it. And then there's a bunch of the, this this. Audible Frontiers is called. They're going back and they're doing a lot of other uh, old, uh, you know, older science fiction books. So I can see there's Clifford Simak and uh, another Zelazny book. And so if anybody is, you know, if you've been into that kind of stuff, if you've got that geek background like I do, it's a good one to, to check out. Fantastic. So ch- definitely check that out. You can get it for free if you haven't signed up for Audible. You can go up to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. There's that title and, of course, more than 45,000 other titles or nearly 45,000 other titles. So there's a lot to choose from. Uh, so uh, you definitely want to um, check that out. Uh, also, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, if, if you haven't done it, I mean, it's, it's free. It's free. So uh, go up and get your uh, Audible uh, book of the week. We've got some listener questions uh, to attend to. Um, we've got a lot of questions here today. Uh, we'll see how many we can get through. Um, the first one is um, oh, this poor fellow. He, uh, <laughs> this is uh, Alex uh, Davila, and uh, he is uh, very new to photography and very interested in learning. And um, he borrowed his aunt's Nikon N80, uh, a.k.a. F80, uh, for those who live outside the States, when it arrived in the mail. Um, he discovered that the inside of the lens is broken. Oh. So now he says, I need to, to purchase a comparable or better lens um, for this thing. I have no idea where to start or what any of the information about the lenses mean. In particular, uh, the particular lens that was on it was an Icor AF 35 to 80, 1.4 to 5.6. Uh, so do you guys have any advice for him? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would sort of say that... Um, 
uh, you know, obviously he doesn't want to, he doesn't probably have a lot of money as a high school student. Um, uh, maybe to look at uh, just getting a, a fixed lens, like a 35 f2 or a 28 that are inexpensive and would be mm-hmm. fine for his course that's coming up. Uh, Nikon makes an 18 to 70, I think. It's a slower lens that's also a lot cheaper. So mm-hmm. it kind of depends on what his aunt is expecting to get back when he's finished <laughs> with the camera, I guess. Right. Right. So the um, so definitely check that out. Also, uh, we had a question from Rafael Oitoya, um, and um, his question is: He goes, "Hello, guys. I feel lucky." Uh, he said an incredible amount of uh, okay. There's lots of stuff about the show. How much he likes it. Um, it said he bought a D80 uh, for Christmas, a Nikon D80, and um, and he has you know he's he's got it on portrait, and he's you know not quite getting what he wants. And this is portrait mode. This is part of that automatic setting, Steve. This is mm, this is a gotcha. subcategory <laughs> of the automatic setting there, and. Uh, and it see, he said the camera chooses to focus on one of the individuals leaving the other ones out of focus. I've tried to stay away um, from the autofocus feature. However, uh, when I focus manually, I don't get the results that I'm expecting. What am I doing wrong? Uh, is there any, anything, any custom setting that I need to change or is it something related to the lens? So he's kind of worried that there's something wrong with the lens um, that, he's, uh, that he's dealing with. Uh, what, what input do you have? Anything? Um, get, well, get out of port mode. <laughs> well, you know, that, that would be my advice. Well, here's, here's, here's what's happening. <laughs> one of, with one of the mode. big things with these autofocus uh, settings is, I mean, you want to be in control, so you want to be able yeah. to press down and focus. When you're in the setting that the camera kind of, you know, chooses to focus for you, that can be very frustrating and maddening. I, I find it, you know, and, and I guess I'm really old fashioned. Like, there's all these focus settings, and all I use is center focus. You know, and I and I point the camera at who I want to focus on, and I hold it halfway down, and then I pull back and I fire the fire the shot. You know, and I and I have to admit that I don't use any of the other focus settings. Do you guys? How do you guys manage the the focus? It's it's actually, I mean, it's a it's a tough problem because what he's having happen here. You know, a camera can only focus at one place, right? You know, what you, what you're right. doing when you're focusing. Uh, your your lens is you you choose a particular distance from the camera that you're focusing on, and then the other piece of the equation is where it gets tricky because then you have to uh, choose a depth of field that's going to capture into focus everything you want to get. So if you've got two people standing at a slightly different distance, it's actually a fairly subtle issue to deal with. You can't necessarily just focus on one of them if you've got a really wide aperture the other one's going to be out of focus well and i think that what, what's happening also is especially when you're shooting a handful of people uh this is one of the things that's happening is is that the portrait mode of course when you're setting portrait mode what you're telling the camera is that i want to use the widest aperture that i can because i want the background to be blurred out you know that when, when you set the camera is trying to bias how it's it's doing a lot of automatic stuff behind the, behind the scenes and it's trying to bias um, the the uh, towards a wide aperture uh, by moving the shutter speed and the aperture back and forth. And so, if you set it to something else, if you if you set it to a regular automatic mode, or you set other modes other than portrait, that other person might be in focus because of that. And I personally think that the best thing to do is to shoot uh, a lot of photos uh, in full manual, especially when you get a when you're getting started. Um, is is really get a sense of what's actually going on um, or or set it in I think the most important uh, personally for me is setting it to aperture priority where I can play with the aperture and let the shutter you know keep an eye on the shutter yeah um, and, and that's uh, really what's going to solve his specific problem is he needs to choose you know force the camera to have a, a smaller aperture which right. would be a bigger number and that will increase the depth of field, and you'll be able to get people at varying distances will all end up in focus. I think his his problem really is with the autofocus system that he set it at, which won't allow him to exactly focus if he chose the center spot, for example, because the camera's going to sometimes, there are settings that allow the camera to choose the closest subject and focus on that. And that could be frustrating when that's not what you want. I've said this before. I don't know if you guys have tried it, um, to have the focus button uh, by the viewfinder and set that to focus and take it off, take the autofocus off the shutter release. And I've done that. I really like it because it allows me to just sort of, you know, uh, keep the camera on tracking mode and just touch once to focus and recompose and shoot or if the subject's moving or if I'm moving, I can hold that button down and the, ca- and it's, the focus is going to track. And for me, it's, it's kind of like the, the old, it's closer to manual focus, which sadly I can't do anymore because my eye is not so good. 
Hey, Steve, here's a, here's a question for you, um, or all you guys. Have you, do you routine, routinely use the depth of field preview button on your camera, or is it just kind of there and not used? Very occasionally for me, but there are times, because again, you, you're not really going to see, you know, you get, you get a sense of it, but, uh, but it's, it's rare. And I guess after all these years, I kind of know, you know, what the f-stops are, are going to give me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah, I use it in certain situations if I really am trying to figure out or get some idea of what it's going to be. But you know, these days, honestly, unless it's a very specific situation, I'll, I'll just—it's just as easy to take a picture and look at what you see. Yeah, you know, yeah. as with the viewfinder, than than do the because the problem with when you use that depth of field preview is it it stops the lens down to the appropriate uh, f-stop that it's going to be used for the shot. And nor- normally, when you're looking through your viewfinder in an SLR camera. It's wide open, so you get as much light as possible through through the eyepiece. And so the depth of field preview button stops it down. But, of course, the problem with that is it lets in a lot less light, so everything you're seeing gets darker. So it seems to me most of the time it's just easier to just take a picture or take a quick you know, sample photo, look at that in, on the LCD instead, and then you'll sort of see what's going on. Yeah, totally. I do find that I, that that I've been needing to uh, on the fly when I'm shooting, especially shooting my son. That's what I do. <laughs> uh, is that I um, is that when people are holding them? You know, I tend to be really uh, I tend to bias myself very much towards as fast as the lens will go because I really like the soft background. But I've been noticing that that 1.8 or or you know or 1.4 is is oftentimes I'll get him in focus or I'll get his eye in focus, but everybody else is out of focus. And and for me, you know, really starting to do what I think a little bit what Steve's talking about is naturally go, oh, that's going to need to I'm going to need to close that down. Um, and getting to that natural reaction, I think, is also um, you know important. It's an important skill that I think I'm developing more uh, as we as we and move one, forward. One thing I also, Alex, just to add that I would mention to listeners, that's a good idea. If you have the time, you know, shoot it at various f stops, and then you know, check the metadata later when you're post processing, and yeah. and learn from what you did, and and then for the next time you're out, you'll kind of know that maybe you know f8 worked in this situation, and that's really a good way to learn. And I think the exif data is just an un, is a treasure trove of of learning information. Uh, when you look at, I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I like to look at it when I'm looking at other people's photos, for instance, on Flickr. Uh, when, when you're looking at a photo there and you can pull up the ex, EXIF data and you can see what they did. It's all your secrets revealed, isn't it? And, uh, you know, like in, the old, in the old days, you know, I, I remember in the old photography magazines, they would always sort of ask, you know, this was taken at one two fiftieth at f four, but now, I mean, we know like how far the camera was zoomed. Uh, if there was flash, I mean, it it really is incredible. And you're right; I I think it is a treasure trove of of info that you can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, coming up next week, uh, that's the end of our our little uh, Q and A session today. And uh, coming up next week, we've, we're going to focus on wedding photography. And uh, Scott's going to probably be running that for us. And uh, so that, that's coming up. So um, stay, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, I don't think we have any videos in the hopper uh, for this week. Um, does anyone ha- is anyone game for a tip of the week today? Sunday? Well, Silence. I, don't I, I record podcasts on Sunday. That's, don't that's record it. podcasts on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> for all of you, for all of you, for price. all of you listening, for all of you listening, we were supposed to record this on Friday, but the, there was the iPhone launch, and so Scott and I were unavailable. Uh, we were getting up crazy early and hanging out with Leo, <laughs> talking about it, and um, and then Saturday we had some technical difficulties with Skype. I know you never imagined that would happen, and so we're recording Sunday afternoon because we're committed. We're committed to our listeners. We're committed to getting this out by Monday. So, uh, so anyway, so uh, Steve, do you have a, do you have a tip for yeah, the week? Yeah, well, for us? I'll just uh, reiterate something that I posted on Twip, and that is, you know, really uh, um, try and discipline yourself next time you go out to shoot to to not look so much uh, at the camera's preview screen on the back of the camera. Check out the histogram, make sure everything's cool, and then just concentrate on the shooting session and forget about the fact that you can see it in review. I think that um, for many, uh, it can really just kind of interrupt the flow and rhythm of the shoot. And uh, in the end, um, you end up missing a lot of stuff because, again, you're not concentrating the way you should be on, on your subject. So that's just, uh, you know, and there's a lot of things you can talk about this issue, but that would be one tip I would give. And Dan I, have, and I, I have a little tip too, Alex. Go ahead. Can I throw it in there? Um, and this is this is kind of an obvious tip, but um, 
and this is something that I just have recently done. Read the manual for your camera. So I actually <laughs> sat down. What? I sat down and read cover to cover the D3, the Nikon D3. There's manual. a lot of little things in there that they put in there. And oh never my take God, there's all kinds yeah. of little things that thing can do that I had no yeah. idea that they were in there. So even the G9, just reading the manual for the G9, you realize that, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little features that I haven't been touching. So I would suggest. And, and, and the big thing is, I would you need to know it's that. possible. I was going to say, I would add to that, if you've had your camera for a while, like six months, go back and look at the manual. Because I know, you know, when you first get the camera, you sit down, and even if you do go through the manual, and you sort of make a mental note of some of the stuff, but a lot of it, you know, once you're in it, you've been playing with it, you kind of forget that it's in there. So I've gone back and looked at manuals and be like, well, I didn't know it could do that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, for me, uh, manuals, my, my, my manuals are my bathroom reading, um, for my cameras. I have many cameras and they just sit in there. They're, they're kind of stacked up. And my, my wife came in and she looked at him and she's like, you are such a geek. <laughs> you know, they should be an audible book. I have a big idea for that, but I'm not going to talk about it on the show because I want to do it. So I'll, so, uh, but I, I think that the manuals could get a lot better. I think that they should be more visual. I think you should use video. I think it should be lots more fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, they should so anyway. be delivered in Acrobat Nine, right, Alex? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they should be delivered in Acrobat Nine with little videos and 3D animations, and they it'd be, it'd be like a little PDF. Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. Yes. So, uh, Fred, where can people find more information from you? Uh, they can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at. Uh, What's my Twitter name? Frederick Van. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody messed it up last show, and, and, and yeah, and Fred, what's my name? Frederick. Alex? <laughs> Frederick. Frederick might be rubbing it in. Um, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Just because you have five gazillion followers, that's all right. <laughs> I'll try better in the future, Fred. So, uh, Ron, uh, where can people find you? You, you? you spelled my name wrong too. In one of your, did I spell? It? There's two ends in Breakman, Alex. Two ends. I was typing quickly. I was typing quickly. I'm dyslexic, and I was typing quickly. You know, these are not two things that you want to mix together. But you see, the problem is we're basically you know leeches on your five thousand followers, Alex. So yeah. And, and any little crumb you throw at us, you know, we're, we're grasping. At well, it. you know, and, and I'm just, I'm just, I, I just, I just, I just, real food is just so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, me, I'm just, I'm just like dragging along on Leo's coattails. So, uh, so anyway, it's the cycle of life. So, what's your Twitter, Ron? Twitter is Ron Brinkman, R O N B R I N K M A N N N N. Blog is digitalcomposting.com mostly. And, uh, and um, the book's out. My my second edition of my compositing book is out. Steve, great. Yours, is, yours is in the mail, by the way. I finally got it off. Oh, thanks, Ron. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. God, it's gotten expensive to mail books around this world. <laughs> you know, there's media mail, though. You can you can do media mail and save, like, 30%. Yeah, That's it's still ridiculously expensive. And going international, I think yeah. even books and kind of heavy books at that international. Yeah. I just spent, like, $50 sending two books to New Zealand. Holy cow! Well, that's yeah, a long way. Yeah. Well, it's a big, it's a big rewrite, so it's uh, it, it's definitely worth uh, definitely worth checking out. I, I Ron sent me one. I sent, I it, sent yeah, yeah, and uh, and it was uh, and I've been digging through it. It's fantastic. So uh, definitely check that out, and uh, we'll have links to it, of course, on the. Uh, on the show notes and uh, Steve, where can people find you? Um, well, I was going to mention like last week, I'm, I'm going to be doing a, um, a workshop with Dave Black at mentorseries.com in New Jersey. So it'll Joy-Z. be interesting. It, it's not going to be like, well, it's going to be beautiful New Jersey. It's not going to be like Sopranos, New Jersey. Um, uh, it's going to be. Um, I caught you off guard, didn't I? You did, but it's gonna. But I actually have the information. It's gonna be the the rolling hills and lush lush, lush countryside okay. that will be the backdrop. There, there's vineyards. There's wow. uh, all kinds of beautiful places. Fantastic. So, uh, thank you all for uh, listening to our Sunday edition of uh, This Week in Photography. You can put that lens cap right back on. <laughs> I'm gonna go